Kohler Smart Toilets introduce a new standard of design and cleanliness, sculptural forms, intuitive technology, and total personalization with integrated warm water cleansing, heated seats, and warm air dryers. For peace of mind and convenience, there are touchless lids, seats, flush, and a self-sanitizing bidet wand. Now you can even use voice commands with Numi 2.0, featuring built-in Amazon Alexa. Explore the complete lineup at Kohler.com slash smart toilets and discover what you've been missing. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thanks for listening to CarCast on Podcast One. Hi, I'm Larry McReynolds, two-time Daytona 500 winning crew chief and host of the podcast Larry Mack, America's Crew Chief on Podcast One. On my next episode, I look back at 500 laps from Bristol Motor Speedway in the Monster Energy Cup Series, and then I'll look ahead to another short track race at Richmond, Virginia. But also, I break down a major announcement our most popular driver, Dale Earnhardt Jr., made just this week, one that rocked the NASCAR world. Remember, every Thursday, you can download a new episode of Larry Mack, America's Crew Chief, at podcastone.com or by subscribing to iTunes. Yeah, hey, get it on. Got to get it on. No choice but to get on mandate. Get it on. I'm looking at this book. I'm Adam Carroll. That's uh, Matt, the moderator. Hello. Andrew over there. Looking at uh, our guest. He's uh, going to be phoning in. Don Nunley. A very interesting looking book. It's uh, Steve McQueen, Le Mans in the Rearview Mirror. And uh, it is thick. It is hefty. And it's perfect for me because it's got a lot of shiny pictures, pictures. <laughs> and not so much of those if it was pop-up that'd be perfect but it's not not so much of those, those <laughs> troublesome words words yeah. words words yeah i it is like i appreciate captions yes i i'm and i'm looking at the cars and i'm looking at the i believe 512 ferraris and the uh, and the uh, porsche 917s <laughs> And I, I think it's pretty safe to say that there was an era, and there was an era that was good for cars, and that there was yeah, there's an era that was bad for cars, and the best in terms of Le Mans, maybe overall, but in terms of Le Mans was that late '60s, early '70s, just aesthetically, just the sound, just you know, it's like I don't like the way F1 cars look now. I, I not right. I, aesthetically at all. I don't like it's F1. a lot of technology. But you bring me back to a John Player special or an Elf car or whatever from 1976, 77, and I'm yeah. right there. Yeah. Uh, Don's on the uh, on the blower, by the way. Don. Yes. Hi. How are you? Hi. Is nice to see you. Uh, I I'm Matt. <laughs> oh, that's Matt, and I'm Adam. <laughs> Adam. Uh, the book is. Um, Looks amazing. It is thick. It's filled with big, fat color pictures. It, I just saw uh, Steve McQueen, the man in Le Mans, 
the documentary yeah. recently. So it's, it looks to me like a lot of the stuff I saw in that is, is also covered in the, in the book. But you were there, right, Don? I was there every minute. So tell us a little about your background and a little about McQueen and Lamont and you and what you were. And how did you get involved with the film? Like, why were you working on the film? Sure. Well, I was uh, 30 years old, and I just finished a picture called Little Big Man for the same company. Mm -hmm. And the head of production was pleased with my work, and that's how you get your next job in the film business. What's your work? by the way. I was a prop, I was a prop master, I'm sorry. Okay. And prop master is the guy in charge of pretty much everything in front of the camera except the actors. Was it That's Solar Films? Was that McQueen's company? Well, Solar Films was his company. The film was produced and budgeted and paid for by Cinema Center Films, a CBS company. Interestingly, it had just been dropped by Warner Brothers, put it into what they called Turnaround, meaning that somebody could pick up the money they had spent on it to that point and take over the project. Uh, CBS found themselves the owner, proud owner, I should say at the time, of the next Steve McQueen film about cars and racing after Bullet had been such a big success. So either Warner Brothers had a crystal ball knowing we were walking into a, a hornet's nest or CBS didn't do their homework. I'm not sure which. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm reading very quickly about Don at the bottom. Started the first product placement agency in Hollywood and responsible for Tom Cruise wearing Ray-Bans. Is, was this you or is this your dad? Because your dad was in the industry as well. Oh, did I screw that up? <laughs> no, you didn't. Actually, oh, my dad shut up, man. retired. And, and so uh, Tom Cruise I, I wearing the Ray-Bans in, in a Top Gun and Risky Business and E.T. drinking a Coors. Yeah, that was a pretty exciting time. <laughs> e.T. drinks beer? Well, I think he, I remember, I thought uh, those Kalen screwed it up, but, but he, was, he meant to write Coke, but then I realized, oh no, he got drunk. Oh, right, that's right, he did get drunk. Sorry, Don. And Interest- that was a, actually, that was a little side note. That was a real problem for Steven Spielberg, because he had a family film, and all of a sudden they realized that they had this scene that was extremely funny, very important to the picture. So uh, we got together with Coors. Um, and uh, Spielberg and came up with a poster that said, if you've gone beyond your limit, phone home. <laughs> and, and oh, that's a good idea. Oh, we're looking yeah. at it. What, what is, can you give us some idea, and then we go right back to Lamont because we love cars, sure. but can you give us some idea of back then what a company would pay for something like this? Like, uh, like when you think about these old stories about how much ad space cost in Super Bowl number three, it was yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it was it it was one hundred eighty nine dollars for ten minutes, you know, or or how much they bought the rights to the first Super Bowl for like five thousand dollars, yeah, or something like that. Is there some great story about just how cheap everything was back then? Well, you know, since nobody else was doing this um, officially. Uh, Coca-Cola had had a guy in Hollywood for years supplying product to films, but there was never any money changing hands. And I saw a need. Um, Everybody in Hollywood has an agent, cameramen, actors, production designers, you name it. But products didn't have an agent. So our sub-line on our company was your agent for the movies. And we became the middleman finding projects where the product could be used positively and exchanging um, our knowledge and our contacts for, for a fee 
to supply the products to the film company, which saved them a lot of hassle, a lot of time, and a lot of uh, legal, you know, uh, legalese to make sure it was possible to use the product. So it was a win-win situation. Actually, win-win-win. I was in the middle. I was winning, too. Do you you remember what Coors paid for that placement? um, I did not charge a flat fee for a film. I charged a flat fee for representation for a year, and I guaranteed them at the time I would find six projects minimum to put their product in for this flat fee. And so it's hard to say they didn't pay a specific fee to be an E.T. You've got to remember, E.T. was not scheduled to be the film it was. It was no. a little film made by Spielberg after Jaws, kind of a thank you to Steven. It was his pet project. It was called A Boy's Life when it was originally shot. It became E.T. a little later. So when it turned out to be the huge success it was, of course, I was very happy. Spielberg was very happy. Coors was very happy. And uh, we kind of cemented our relationship. We went on to put Coors in probably 70 films in the next 10 years. Yeah, they... Uh, All I, for that same annual fee? I feel like you, I feel like your <laughs> hourly rate really starts to go down if you guarantee six and you need to give, deliver 70. <laughs> Hell, just the Smoking Bandit trilogy. And also, it seemed like everybody... In the, I saw everybody was wearing a Coors hat or Coors yeah. t-shirt back then. I, All right, well, let's get, let's get to Lamar. So... Steve McQueen seemed like a pretty passionate dude about racing, but also seemed like a guy you didn't really want to argue with and could be pretty temperamental. Like on the set, like when he was working or just in life? He, in every <laughs> facet of life. But I, in that movie, they were hiring and firing writers and firing directors. Yeah. Was it as is, is chaotic as it seemed? You know, the, the thing is, Steve, uh, I like Steve fine. We got along well. I first met him on the set of Wanted Dead or Alive about nine years before, I believe. Um, Steve was always a little temperamental. He was what he considered a perfectionist. I don't think the studios did often or the other directors, but if he didn't get it done his way, he was not a happy camper. Now, this was his project. Uh, When CBS took it over or Cinema Center uh, offered to take the film and finance it, uh, we did not have a director. We did not have a finished script. They brought in John Sturgis to direct because he had worked with Steve on The Great Escape and uh, oh, Magnificent Seven and kind of really made Steve's career as a movie star. At the moment we started Le Mans, he was the number one box office star in the world. So obviously with that comes a lot of clout, a lot of pressure. Um, he and Sturgis, even though they had worked together, could not agree on what Le Mans should be, what kind of film. Steve really wanted more of a docudrama about racing. And, of course, the studio and John Sturgis wanted a story with a little other side stories, love stories, et cetera, interest for the general audiences. So we started. We had a deadline. We had to start the day the race was filmed, uh, shot, uh, I mean run. We shot the, uh, the race with 26 Panavision cameras, including three on a 908 Porsche that had never been done before, that we got permission to enter and and actually uh, run the race. Uh, Side note on that is we finished 17, uh, we said we were one of 17 cars to actually finish the race. We finished second in our class, even though we were coming in to change film quite often. (laughs) (laughs) I feel bad for the guy who came in third. 
and that yeah. th- that class got a camera car that just beat you. Yeah, right. With the guy like duct taped the hood, like because they were they were well, like holding cameras. Cameras were big back then. <laughs> yeah. And well, then, when you look yeah. you look through the book, you'll see a lot of pictures of our 908 Porsche. Um, the cameras were mounted by our key grip, Galen Schultz, who spent a couple of months in uh, Europe at uh, Brian's Hatch racetrack, oh, mounting these cameras right. and testing them. We were using uh, Airflex cameras, which were the smallest 35-millimeter cameras at the time that you could use anamorphic lenses on because we were shooting widescreen, of course. But uh, nowadays, everybody puts a camera on anything and everything, and it's no big deal. Back then, yeah. it was. Did did you uh, – did, the idea, as I look at these cars and you hear the stories of, well, they took a, a, a GT40 – from uh you know two years earlier three years earlier and they just cut the roof off yeah so they can mount the camera or whatever it is or just started drilling holes in the uh, into the bodywork and, and just mounting stuff and you realize the multi 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 million dollars these cars um are worth right now don right. did I'm, I'm sure you have a story or somebody's got a story about them going what do we do with this camera car well it's junk now yeah uh, you take it. I don't want it. I you take it. it. I mean, How am I going to get it home? Was yeah. there any of that? Well, you're absolutely correct. Uh, that GT40 sold, I think, two years ago. I believe, and uh, this could be wrong, but between 8 and $10 million. Was it sold as the camera car with the you know roof removed and stuff like that, or was it pristinely restored? Yeah, was, it, was it put back? You know, I can't answer that. I'm sorry, but I do know it was certainly has a... Uh, providence of being the camera car for the film is what brought the attention to the car, and and the uh, I don't know what happened to the uh, 908 Porsche that we had, but I'm sure that's in somebody's collection. Um, but the, you know, the, I think one of the most interesting stories is the wristwatch that I got Steve to wear in the movie, mm-hmm. which which was a Hoyer chronograph, and it was kind of like at my insistence he picked a Hoyer because he wanted to wear the Hoyer patch on his driver's suit because he thought nobody would really know what that was. Mm-hmm. He did not want a Marlboro patch. He was handling, you know, very, which I commend him for. didn't you know, want to promote a cigarette, although most drivers did then. But he picked the uh, Hoyer patch when we were outfitting his, his costume. And, uh, and then he picked up, because I had all the top chronographs laid out for him to pick, you know, everything from, from Rolex to the... Uh, Omega to the Hoyers. Uh, anyhow, I had them all laid out. I think there were like six brands. He picked up the Omega Moon Watch because of, it had just gone to the moon. It was a very exciting watch. A nice looking watch. He said, I want to wear this. And I said, Steve, wear what you like. But if you're wearing a Hoyer patch, I would think you'd be wearing a Hoyer watch. That means they're probably sponsoring you. Right. And he said, good point. So he went back and he looked at all. I had like five varieties of the Hoyer watches that Jack Hoyer sent me to show Steve. And I thought he'd pick out one that looked kind of like everybody else's watch. But instead he picked out a square, yeah, blue face with two white dials. And he said, I want to wear this. I said, fine. It didn't bother me, but I knew that it would be very distinctive. And uh, I called Jack Hoyer as soon as he picked that watch and said, I'm going to need at least five more of these because Steve has a reputation of walking off the set with his props and somehow forgetting them somewhere. <laughs> and and uh, 
I did. I mean, Jack sent me the other watches. And uh, just, I think, two years ago now at Sotheby's in, in Europe, I believe it was Sotheby's in Europe, but one of those watches just sold for almost $700,000. Yeah. The idea... Uh, well, that, that became one of their most iconic watches. They still make the, you know, the, the tag uh, uh, Monaco edition. I think they make like a Le Mans edition of that. It's the square-looking one with the blue face that... I think the face do. of their brand now is Patrick Dempsey. And uh, so they've stayed in racing. You probably start them in racing, and now they've been in racing ever since. It should be noted that Steve's fire suit, McQueen's fire suit, famously sold for nine hundred thousand nine hundred, oh, like yeah. just shy of a million dollars. And by the way, it's been four or five years. Yeah. Yes. That amazing suit is one point three or one point five right. today. The idea. <laughs> you must have had that fire suit, and we're like throwing it over the top of folding chairs, like letting it dry out in the sun because Steve sweated it up in the yeah. car. And then later on, there must be a story where you just threw it in the back of your rented VW Bug and it said we're going to take it to the laundry or something and left it overnight just out there. Yeah. I mean, a- any movie well, that's done now that has a big star in it, do they think about that now ahead of time? I, like, wanna, I, oh, yeah. I, I want stories oh, yeah. about this suit first. <laughs> You must have, you handled the suit, right? You were the Wrangler. I handled it, but the man in charge of it was Ray Summers, the costume designer. Oh, okay. And Ray and I worked closely together. Um, Do they have duplicates of that? Is there just one? Oh, sure. So oh, there's no, you never start a movie with a major star with one of anything. If right. So the one sold for a million bucks. There must be a couple of more. There are, and I have no idea where the others are. I, in fact, one of them I saw uh, represented as one of Steve's shirts that he drove in the race, and I, I pointed out to the person telling me this, I said, maybe, but that doesn't have the American flag on the shoulder like Steve's did. And he said, yo, you're right. So I don't know what happened after that conversation. but uh, Somebody you know, ironed one on. <laughs> Got to get the money's yeah. worth. <laughs> Let's do an iron-on patch. Yeah, it's pretty pretty hard to, unless I mean unless you've got the prominence of who had it and where it was. The watches I kept in my I had three of the, four of the watches that were left at the end of the film, and I had them in my possession until I unwisely sold a couple on eBay, and then um, I gave one to a friend. Oh, and then the last one I sold. Uh, well, I sold it to a big collector. And uh, I made more money on that watch than I made on working on the film for seven months. So let's let's figure this out. Um, Chris, engineer Chris, um, find out what year that that Steve McQueen fire suit sold. I feel like it's Uh, I've been saying 2011 984. It's been six years. That that thing's gone up. 984, that's 1.5. All right, so these watches, you Mm -hmm. he he gets five, you leave, you come back to the United States with four. Yeah. And, and they literally just sit in, like, your desk, desk drawer on a shelf or something, right? Well, they were actually in my, my safe. Okay. okay. So, but, I knew I had them, but they didn't mean that much to me. I, I mean, I've got props from a lot of pictures. I bought those at the end of the picture. Here's the fun part. I called Jack at, at Hoyer at the end of the picture. I said, look, I have four of these watches left. I know Steve has one, and I'm not sure who has the other one, but uh, I need to return them to you. Jack Hoyer said, look, they're used watches, why don't you keep them? I said, well, I just can't keep them. Uh, the studio wouldn't like me just taking those. He said, well, send me $1,000 and all the stuff is yours. 
and I had stopwatches. I had all kinds of stuff left. I said, okay, no problem. So I paid a thousand bucks. I got all this stuff, which happened to be a very good investment, by the way. Probably better than buying Apple stock the day it came out. <laughs> what? Well, not for the not, one you not gave. Not if you gave friend. it away or sold it on eBay for <laughs> seven hundred dollars. Wait, <laughs> tell us what year you sold it on eBay. Oh dear, that's been probably uh, fourteen years ago. And maybe. and what did it go for on eBay? I uh, went for ten grand. One, one of them went for ten grand, and equal to the one that went for seven hundred grand recently. Uh, not exactly. What I had, I had the watch Steve wore most of the time in the in the movie, which is the one that had the most wear, of course, showing. I had what I called a hero watch, one I kept in the box, absolutely pristine. Yeah, I'd use it just for special occasions, like if Steve was going to do a, a still shoot. So I had a nice clean, you know, nice clean uniform, a nice clean watch, everything. And that was probably only worn three or four times. And then the other two were, were, were doubles for him. I wore one on the set most every day. So I'd have one in case Steve all of a sudden said, where's my watch? And I could give him one. I, I did assign a crew member to Steve to watch him like a hawk. And when he started to look like he was headed home, whether he was released officially or not, I said, follow him to his car if you have to and ask for the watch. But we never lost the watch that way. <laughs> there That's a, a thankless job if there ever is. Well, us, Mr. McQueen, can you give me the watch back before you drive home? There was a, there's also a, a horrible car crash where uh, the driver lost one leg or both legs. I can't recall. No, one leg. David Piper. Yes. Uh, was a David, David was Piper. During filming. Yeah. Still going strong today and has a 917 yes, that he races. Yes, you're exactly right. Yeah. Um, good for David. Good for David, man. And I heard Steve, I think, tried to send him a little money his way. He lost a leg in a, a an accident. Do you remember that day? Yeah. Absolutely. I've got, I think I have some excellent pictures in the book of the crash and what it looked like. And it's, uh, the aftermath of the crash when they picked up the pieces actually fit into the back of a van. And I've got pictures of that van that are stuffed with parts of a 917 with one of the CBS executives walking behind it looking like he might be having heart failure. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, I mean... I, I don't know much about the crash. Did he lose a leg in the crash, or was, it was like he went to the hospital later and they said, we can't save the leg? Say, Sorry. Exactly. Yeah. He couldn't it, say... And uh, Steve, to his credit, wanted, he uh, went to uh, Sid Gannis, who was the publicity man on the picture at the time. By the way, Sid ended up being president of the Motion Picture Academy. And uh, what happened is uh, Steve said, why don't we do a screening for um, David and let you know, all the proceeds come, come back uh, to, to David as kind of a, fun for him because they didn't know if he'd be able to drive again or not. And uh, what happened is the studio heard that, but I don't think they ever did that, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I do remember hearing that story. And God, it's just, it's, it's so much. It's so, it just, it's just, it just keeps going and going and going. And um, the, the cars are just art. It is the best, the best year. The sounds you must have heard, especially, well, oh, you got yeah. the Ferrari V12s, but you got the flat 12 air-cooled 917s. Yeah. I mean, those sounds 
Un- I mean, you could probably close your eyes right now and just remember those sounds, Don. That was amazing. Uh, the, the interesting thing, I had never seen one of these races before I did the movie. And I told the studio, I said, you're hiring uh, a novice. And I don't know anything about this kind of racing. And to their credit, they said, you will learn. And they were correct. Um, I learned from the best. I learned right off the bat because they sent me to uh, Belgium for the spa race as mm-hmm. a guest of the Dunwire Porsche team. I was able to be in the pits for that race. I met Pedro Rodriguez, Derek Bell, Brian Redman, Joe Sifford, uh, you name it. It was just like total baptism under fire with the best. Well, the book is called, uh, once again, it's called Steve McQueen, Le Mans in the Rearview Mirror. It is big, it is beautiful, and it's just the most interesting snapshot in our in racing history to me at the biggest race in history with Steve McQueen and the movie and the turmoil and the tragedy and there's all sorts of stories about him uh, dating his co-star yeah. and they got in a little car accident rolled <laughs> off the side of the road but they couldn't get the hospital involved because they didn't want the paparazzi I mean it is so layered and so interesting and what you guys should do is you should go to uh, Amazon and you should uh, first click through our banner at carcastshow.com and pick up this beautifully crafted book by Don Nunley Don uh, this has been I, I just I'll cut it at twenty minutes because yeah. I I could but do you'll twenty love the hours. Photos. Like you'll love the photos if you guys find this book. Just even you know pick up a copy or flip through it because, uh, like you said, it's a it's a wonderful picture book. Unbelievable, Don. Thank you for joining us. It's been my pleasure, guys. It's uh, boy, and you know what? Uh, you know, let's all hey newbies. You listen to <laughs> you listen to old man uh, Don Nunley over here. You could hear this guy wanted to do his job. His job. Yeah. You could hear him. Everything was like, I got the five watches. I kept the one. The one kept in the box. That was for the hero shots. The other one, I wore one to give to him. I had a guy follow him out to the car and go get the watches. Yeah. That is just a approach to your job and life that everybody should possess. Every And the one thing, you know, I talk a lot about shit about uh, movies and TV. They don't fuck around when it comes to that shit. The the um, I won't get into any specifics, but uh, if podcasting was like TV, everyone would be fired. <laughs> they f- don't fuck around with movies and TV. That's they're weird. They're you could call them flighty and alcoholics and fucked up and temperamental and everything, but when it comes to the set, they don't fuck around. There's no such thing as like. Oh, where's Steve's watch? Oh, I left it at the whorehouse. Oh, well, shit. You remember where the whorehouse is? There's none of that. None. Why, though? Is it is it a union thing? Or do you think people just, like, have the, the, pride in their work that we seem to lack in a lot of other industries? The thing about movies is it's a little bit of a military operation. And you can't have, like, oh, where's the ammo? Oh, I thought you brought the ammo. Well, no, I got the cannon. Yeah. Where's that? No, no. You can't. There's no time for any of that. Everything is on a schedule. Everything is nutty. There's some chick who's walking around with a headset who's telling you the same thing 13 times yeah. Like, yeah. and giving you a countdown. Like she's coming to your trailer 10 minutes and you're like, that's fine. Just come get me when you need me. She'll come back nine minutes. She'll come back again. <laughs> Four minutes. Like, yeah. 
tell everybody. And you see him, they're in there walking. He's walking. He's walking now. He's walking. That's all. He's coming to set. Walking. You get to the set. The sound guy's there. He's like double backup redundancy, taping stuff onto you. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. And then they all go home and do cocaine and have have sex with uh, people with the same uh, genitalia they have. (laughs) And then they get back on set and it's all fucking business again. Yeah. I'll tell you what it is. You don't last for 10 fucking seconds in that environment if there's a... If you're not sure. Where's Steve McQueen's watch? Uh, I got the watch. I got... How many did you get? I got one. Well, where is it? I don't know. Ask Steve McQueen. He's the one who left it at the whorehouse. <laughs> yeah. uh, you? Gone. You're fired. You should have got five, and you should have been standing here with one of them. And by the way, we should have never had this conversation. You're fired. That's the point. That's you should have never had that conversation. And so the point is, is what happens? Well, you get to a movie set, and guess who inhabits the movie set? Only people who haven't been fired. <laughs> <laughs> For all the fucking nonsense in life that we all deal with on a daily basis, those guys all get shit-canned immediately. And guess who doesn't get to get on a plane and go to Europe? Don doesn't. Because Don would have fucked up on his last production stateside. So when they're saying to him, hey, we're doing Le Mans, go get on a Pan Am and go over to France. And he's like, I've never done racing before. They're like, that's fine, but you're good. So go get on the plane. Now, if you're talking to fuck up number seven and he's going, hey, they're doing Le Mans. Where do I get my plane ticket? Uh, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. That's how it works. And eventually you do enough of that and it's an entire super race of Dolph Lundgren's walking around sets. Only the best of the best who haven't been shit canned from the 13 other productions they didn't get shit canned. Yeah. From. It's interesting, though, because in that entertainment industry... Oh, and somebody's brother, who is a fuck-up. <laughs> One guy, like the director's brother, who shouldn't be there, and he is the lazy fuck-up in the whole group. There needs to be that one guy. In that industry, there's also somebody else waiting in the wings to take that job. They're waiting for somebody to fuck up so they can go in and swoop in and be like, I'm your new prop master. Right. And, I, and all you got to do is just keep doing good, and then you, you, you know, you'll keep getting hired again. That's, uh, that's my thought. Max okay. Baz, that makes sense to you? Yeah, I don't know if you're you're implying <laughs> anything with this. <laughs> no. Right? I, he wasn't speaking to you guys specifically. I, I, no. I'll get on the Pan Am, Jeff. But I'll go. No, just, but what I, 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 I am saying, you know, this picture in my last race, the camera rolling around my lap. <laughs> Lost me oh. the Toyota Grand Prix because of it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, let's look at the fit. Oh, we don't have any footage from that race. Oh, okay. God. Okay. But anyway... I just like I just dug Don. If you just really just listen to Don and his watch breakdown, like his first thing was like, "Hey, Starman, you pick whatever watch you want." Yeah. And then his next one is like, mm, "I wouldn't go with the Seiko because you got the Hoyer tag on your thing, but yeah. you still pick whatever you want." Yeah. I'm just saying, it wouldn't make fun- sense with yeah. the tag. And but then- see, that's a good business sense. That's a good move. Going. You know, we've we've got a deal with one guy. Let's make the deal. Let's keep it alive. And then he steers him over to the Hoyer, and then he picks his Hoyer, and he goes, okay. And then he immediately gets on the phone with the Hoyer guy and goes, I need five, and I need that yeah. for this. And then he doesn't put them all in the same shoebox. He figures out, here's the one he wears, here's the one I wear, here's yeah. the one we keep. And he just does all that. And then he collects it. And then at the end, he has the dignity to call the guy. And also, are you two looking at me? Yeah. He doesn't want the studio to go, uh, 
where are those watches? Remember all my uh, micro brews came in in the cases, and I showed up, and I went, what happened to all my beer? <laughs> that, would be, that would be the studio. That would make me the studio. Yeah. What happened to all my beer? Oh, everyone took it home. He doesn't want the studio going, what happened to all those Hoyer watches that McQueen was wearing? And I go, I don't know. Ask prop, prop guy. He's yeah. got them all. Oh, he, in which case, ask Don. He took them home back to Arizona. In which case, the studio goes... I don't mind that he took them, but he should have asked. Who has he talked to anybody? No, he just packed them up and took them. Like, yeah, okay, that guy's not going to the next gig. That guy should have. That guy Don knew enough to know that there's a big difference between he took them versus he taught. He called Hoyer. They worked out an agreement. He paid Hoyer. Yeah, and then he took them. In which case, if you're a studio guy. See, if somebody said, uh, where's all my pizza port IPA? Oh, they talked to Lynette and they gave her $4 and then they took it. I'd go, all right. Okay. Not the situation. I actually have uh, um, Don's letter to Mr. Hoyer and how he how he gave the watches back. Oh, he's got documentation yeah. as well. well uh, long before yeah. email happened. Now I love it. Dated November 13th, 1970. <laughs> hold on. Sit on it. All right. <laughs> but, but hold on. Uh, let me tell you about uh, Amsoil first. Uh Move beyond stock performance with the Amsoil. Synthetic motor oil. Love this stuff. Combines the top-tier synthetic technology with unique additives to protect up to 25,000 miles or a year in between oil changes. What a time we're living in. Shields engine from wear and deposits. Uh, wear on pistons and cams leads to power loss. You know we love this stuff. 75% more engine protection against horsepower loss and wear than required by the industry standard. Piston cleanliness, I like that, 93% above the industry standard. This stuff is just the best. Tested in the field and on the track in extreme conditions. Do yourself a favor. You know what's sad? I start salivating when I talk about oil. (laughs) I rarely drink it, but I start salivating. It's one of my most fascinating topics. I love love it. it. Amsoil.com slash CarCast. Get the information. A-M-S-O-I-L. Devoted to protection, man. Check it out. All right. Read the letter. All right. Dear Jack, enclosed you will find a check for $785, which is the money I collected for some of the watches. This may help pay for part of the duty and some of your shipping expenses. Mr. McQueen has kept two of the watches for himself. I'm sending you back over half of the equipment you originally sent us. I'm going to send the remaining things to the studio for inserts and then put it into stock at CBS and Hollywood so you can look forward to further exposure in other Cinema Center projects. As you know, Jack, I certainly do appreciate all your help. I'm personally pleased with the amount of exposure you will receive in the, f- in the film, and I'm happy it turned out this way. I'm looking forward to hearing from you in California and work- when working with you in the future. I remain your good friend, Don Nunley. Right. I got a letter one of my employees sent to uh, sent to uh, Timex. Yeah, dude, suck it, <laughs> <laughs> suck my balls. <laughs> You're fucking lucky. I'm high. <laughs> I'm gonna need a whole bunch of free shit. <laughs> Hold on, I'm hungry. I'm gonna get back to this letter when I'm done eating. Mike got the hot dog truck over. Oh, you know what? Fuck you. You don't need to know about eating hot dogs. I'll be back. 
Now there's some there's is it, is what it looks like dude. <laughs> looks like uh, looks like some German mustard is smeared on the next page. I can't do it, dude. Done eating. Crack third beer. Fuck you. Need more free shit. Eat my pussy, douche. Fuck you very much. And I need some more free shit. Hold on. What time is it? I don't know. I don't have a free fucking watch. Drop off barrel of watches or whatever they come in. Fuck you very much. Adam Kroll employee. Wow. See, times have changed. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different time we're living in, literally. It's not a, it's not a critique. It's not a criticism. It's just a different, different time. <laughs> Dude. P. P. S. My balls itch. Who's going to take care of this? <laughs> All right. Do we have? Uh, so the, the, the we- <laughs> I'm making myself laugh. All right. Let's uh, let's take a question. Okay. All right. You, you have a, a few uh, emails about uh, your garage, Adam. So I'm going to read a couple of them. And if you want to write in, just go to uh, carcastshow.com. Uh, click the contact page. This is from Brian. He lives in Toronto. He's 28. Hey guys, I was watching a random YouTube video of the garage and found the light blue painted floor to be really sharp. What are your recommendations for garage floors? Do it right the first time. (laughs) That's the first recommendation. I'm building a new house with a small one-car garage. I'd like something easy to maintain from oil spills or the harsh winters we have here with salt dripping off the car. What do you think? Um, Look, they, they make a lot of garage floor paints. And they've improved a lot. They've improved over the a years. Lot. They used to be really shitty and peel off, and yeah. And in the past, there was kind of a choice between: do you want a two-part system, yeah, or do you want to and and have it be impossible to use or to apply, or really difficult to apply, expensive, sort of cumbersome mixing, you know, catalyst resin, blah blah blah, or do you want to go with the one-part garage floor water base that's no good? Or not right. not that good. Um, <clears throat> I like the epoxy. The blue floor you're talking about is epoxy. The first time we did it, the guys over at I don't know what paint shop fucked it up, and they they gave us two parts of the same, and and it never dried. I should I should have a class action lawsuit against almost everybody on the planet. Like <laughs> that p- entire place was painted. The entire place was painted, only to realize 24 hours later it will never dry. It will never, like walking on flypaper, it will never dry. The entire thing needed to have barrels and barrels of acetone and lacquer thinner and cleaned all the gooey. I mean, if you spilled a quart of this gooey paint that never dried in the middle of your garage, you would be pissed because your weekend would be ruined. This was 10,000 square feet (laughs) of this shit applied, and every ounce of it had to be scraped up mopped up by hand although you couldn't just mop it up you had to use acetone and or thinner. the floor and then reprep and repaint because the guy didn't give I, us the right two parts and the guy's thing was like uh oh, my bad i'll uh i'll give you a break on the next batch <laughs> sweet sweet rob rob went through like three two pairs of shoes or something like it was just like it's a disaster between the chemicals and it would never dry we just soak into everything which is it was it was messed up so i guess I'm the advice is is now make sure yeah you get the right ingredients but i think there's over-the-counter stuff and really about the prep it's got to really prep that cement yeah give it a good acid wash and there are lots of good products and 
I I like a clear coat or yeah. something that's got some sheen and some depth to it. I think a lot of the problem with garage floors is kind of paint them. They're a little bit flat or low luster or whatever. Yeah. I, I like a clear – see about a clear coat. Pick the color you like. Yeah. Have fun and do a border and then do a clear coat. All right. What else? Uh, hold on. Let me jump in real quick with uh, Rich Uncles. Hmm? Rich uncles, man. I invested in them. They're uh, REITs, R-E-I-T, the Real Estate Investment. There you go. Investment Trust. I'm getting cash dividends as we speak, everyone. Lots of our listeners have, too. And uh, here's how smart rich, uncle, rich uncles are. They're checking into uh, an interest in a REIT for student housing. So they realize who's paying for the student housing? The parents are. Why yeah. not get in? Why not dip your beak into that little pond there? So uh, it's simple. Rich Uncles has a plan of buying facilities for students at major colleges and universities. And they never, they're they're recession proof. They never go. They just keep making more money, those colleges. And the yeah. kids just keep showing up. If you're interested, you can go to richuncles.com, express your interest in the Rich Uncles Student Housing REIT. A uh, reggae tier two offering. That's Rich Uncles, or give them a call eight five five Rich Uncles. That's eight five five Rich Uncles. All right. Rich- Uncle Student Housing Reed is seeking indications of interest concerning its Reggae Tier 2 securities offering. Any indication of interest involves no obligation or commitment of any kind. No money or other consideration is being solicited. And if sent in response will not be accepted. No sales will be made or commitments to purchase accepted until the offering statement is qualified. This media outlet is being paid under $15,000 by Rich Uncles for this single message. All right. Uh, we got another question in there, Max Pata? Yep. This is from Micah. He's from Corona. He's 53. Hey, guys. I heard Adam on a recent episode state that he prefers two-post car lifts as opposed to four-post lifts to, shave, to save shop space. I was wondering if Adam stores his cars on the two-post lift. I would like to store my car on a two-post to save space, but have not found much information describing how it's done. If Adam has some advice, I'd appreciate his comment. Thanks, Micah. By the way, 24-Hour War was awesome. I love that era. Thanks, Micah. I'd like to store my car on the two-post, but Matt's storing his car on the <laughs> two-post. To be fair, I'm on the four-post. Oh, you are on the four. I think That's Andrew right. has got his Volkswagen on your two-post right now. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's harder to store cars on the two posts I, I think what mike is saying is is to stack them yes and for the stackers you want f- four posts you can drive one underneath it and 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 be done with it why can't you drive it under a two i feel like we store cars under the two we do sometimes do we? but we store like a smaller race car and it's harder to do they're a little closer together yeah and then and the suspension's hanging down more you know because now you're stretching the suspension and the you know whatever the shocks and the springs oh, oh right and, right yeah you know so like but you hold could, on they must make Two, they have to make two posters with that are platforms. I mean, with no suspension hang. That I don't. They make know. single post. I don't know if they make yeah. single single. I don't post. think there's like a drive on two post. Maybe I bet there is. is. There has yeah. to be. There has to be because there's everything. Just go look for for that. I I bet they make drive on. Is there a drive on two post left? There might be like garage specific storage ones. Yeah, you're looking at a bend, tilt, or whatever. Now, yeah. the I see, I want to live in a world devoid of posts. Yeah. I, I If you could do, when I did my super garage, I put the thing in the ground. Right. Because I didn't, obviously can't do a stacker, but I didn't want to walk around my garage and have big posts hanging. Bump, it would yeah. have been a disaster. Yeah. And they, I know they have single. Now, the thing about the single is I don't think they have single, and you don't want to say stacker, Maxipata, but you do want to say 
kind that do the suspension hang or the sit on the uh, what do we maybe like a storage lift like a car storage when you start getting into storage it gets into yeah it's just it's i found drive on it's it's a drive on adapter that you could put on your oh i see there's a drive on adapter for for the for the two posts for the two posts yeah that's interesting now we have to see if they make just a two post with the drive on on it but um wait what do i have in the back there so in 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 the oh, back, that's a scissor. Yeah, yeah that's a scissor jack. It's that. kind of All like right. a, a portable thing. Hey, so listen. Also, your single post I know thing you guys is in hate your... me, but I got too many hoists. <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep them straight. Like you're I'm si- like a blues singer with this kid. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are too many of them. I don't know, what, I don't know their names. And well, plus, everyone has all their junk on my stuff, so I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. You know... <laughs> I don't know anything about that. Don't ever get successful and get a hoist. Every one of your ne'er-do-well buddies from high school is going to come over and drop his car off on top of it. I knew that I would need to use a lift, so I... Uh, it's a metaphor, Maxipata. It's a metaphor for our society. Who's paying for the lift? Me. Who's paying for the warehouse? Whose car's on it? The poor guy. <laughs> yeah, man. And guess who's pissed at me? The poor guy. Not this one. My priest is no, next no, no. in line. Go we ahead. got a couple. We got a couple lifts in there. We get the two post and the four post, but they're also used for different things i don't know like with your single post that like could you do could you swap a transmission with your single post was you know was yeah. there some sort of adapter to, to go wide or yeah or, the thing about the single post is i know what you're saying and you have to kind of work it out now i put a 20 foot platform up with my single post yeah, so I'm, right. I'm i'm adaptive but um the uh the thing about uh, that was nervous as shit. That like, was crazy. We, like, I was there when we put it up, like the first time. Are we there for the first time? Yeah, yeah. That there was, was crazy. Like, there was some safety wire thing you rigged up with, like with like power winches and yeah. Y- you know, you were there for the first one. Yeah, yeah. That was scary. That took like six hours. Scary standing underneath <laughs> while it was going up. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like it. Yeah. yeah, but you could have been. It was badass when it was done. Would, like the whole idea worked. You would have been killed by a Lamborghini Miura. Yeah, that's the way to go. That's though. the way to go. Yeah. yeah, that would have been a weird thing too. It's like, what happened to Matt? He was killed by a Lamborghini Miura. Was he driving it? What happened? No, no, no. no. He was hit by a Lamborghini Miura. No, no, no. How fast was the car going? No, then zero. Yeah, except when well, it fell. Would Matt do? Throw himself into it? <laughs> no. Was Matt was drunk though? Right? No. What happened? It landed on him. <laughs> Crushed. It <laughs> fell from the sky. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Amira <laughs> fell from the sky. I was scared to death standing underneath this thing as it was going up because it was a single post. And the single post is like nine and a half inches wide in this huge platform with this car on it. And the arms stretched all the way out. And then three foot risers on the single post that I made. Yeah. <laughs> well, when we, up, when we started the ramps. The like you made like two by four ramps and they broke, so we couldn't. We had to make something else. You did like aluminum with two by four to reinforce. There was something there, but the, so the idea was, you know, when when Adam built his super garage, you put the car in the office above the garage. Right. But there was no way. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no way to buy a single post lift that would go as high as you needed to go. It would lift it in a garage, but not enough to go. High enough through the floor on a platform and into the office above. That was a big problem, yes. So you had to make the car set on a platform, but then also there needed to be a lift underneath that platform. So big, big spacers, like three foot of spacer. So just to get the car, even with the with the fl- 
with the lift in the ground flush, the car still needed to drive up like four feet and onto two separate platforms. The whole thing is nerve wracking because I'd put it up on a table three foot above the ground. And then you'd have to crawl underneath the table with the car on top of it to get the whole apparatus yeah. hooked up that I designed. I just engineered <laughs> yeah. it myself. I decided how thick it should be and how long it should be and yeah. what gauge steel we should use and then go up in the ceiling. So that's it. So imagine this, this lift is pushing up a big table with a car on a table. That's what happened. And the table's four feet high or three feet high. I feel I feel like such a puss because I I gave Rob and Tom like such props for just getting that mirror on the stage at the other shop, like just rolling it up the ramp. That's on the, the stage. stage. The part, That's the stage yeah. that was in the house. The part that got really scary is when you were on the ground. The part where it passed over your head and it was above you, and it's like if something just snapped, it'd just be on you. Like there wasn't anything you could do. If something yeah. just popped. there's no room for air. You designed it like well. That. I mean, it it was. And it's a one-time thing. It's just like you just you just got to figure it out, and then there's no like, not a lot of trial and error. You know, you the, can't the, be the like problem, oh, let's, The problem yeah. that I had the whole time is that there was a single post in the middle. The arms came out from the single post. Four arms. They were fully extended, but they're totally adjustable. They just slide in and out on their own. Yeah, and they were slid all the way out as wide as they could get. And then I filled the holes with steel pipe and went up, and I kept wondering, is one of those going to snap? Yeah. Because <laughs> you're putting it way out of its position. It's, it's, it's not made to do what I'm asking it to do. Yeah. Did it. Bravo. Did it. Now, <laughs> and then at one point, you put Larry Miller in there and filmed it. <laughs> and you're like, what's well, a little extra weight? <laughs> I've got to say, Max Pat, why am I not heralded as a genius? Who says uh, Ray's you're back not? here. I'll go. I'll go ask. Go him. <laughs> There's a lot of shut up asshole to a guy who does what I do. Right? Should be heralded. <laughs> Someone should herald. But yeah, you, someone needs to herald you. Yeah. Start heralding. All right, I'll work on it. You know what it is? Because everybody <laughs> takes everything and turns it into nothing. I, we all do it. Like just all right. So you put your car. Up put there. your car. Like, there, okay, yeah. Great. And then when you show them, they go, "Yeah, that's what I would have done." That's how I would have done it. That's how I would have done the same way. It's like, I don't think you would have. I don't think you would have figured this out the way I figured it out. And by the way, my entire plan, putting this thing together, minus the lift and stuff, like my part, I did for 500 bucks in materials. Yeah. But throughout the process, everyone's saying no, right? They're saying, oh, I need a lift that goes this high. No. You can't get that. Uh, I knew knew the second I checked. You know. All right. Let me tell you about something you should know about. Geico, man. Oh, you got your to-do list. You got to go pick up the dry cleaning. You got to put the mirror in the super garage into the office. You got a business, man. How about you add something to your list and you never have to leave the house. You save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance and you don't have to move anywhere. Just go to geico.com. 15 minutes could be saving 15% or more on your car insurance and uh, get a little wham, a little walking around money, a little pocket change. Go to geico.com, spend a few minutes, figure out just how much you could be saving on auto insurance. It's Geico. What do you got there, Matt? Yeah, I'll tell you about Blue Apron. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service for less than $10 a meal. There's new recipes created each week, and they are not repeated within a year. It only takes about 40 minutes or less to, to make one of these things They're the up. best. You know, they got some upcoming meals. Check this out. Get, they got beef, get, get it, Give it to your nanny <laughs> and tell her to go sick, man. She, <laughs> In 40 minutes great. or less, you can get she it done. She nails it. 
All right, you pick. You got beef teriyaki stir fry with stir fry with lime rice. That's coming mm, up soon. I like that one. Baked spinach and egg flatbread with sautéed asparagus. Sounds good, but I still got the teriyaki okay. in the number one spot. Three cheese and baby broccoli stromboli. <sighs> Here's the thing: you don't have to pick. You just you get, get you get three meals free. You get three. Yeah, all right, that's well, there right. you go. Uh, so they have delivery options to fit your needs. There's no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. And check out this week's menu and get three meals free, like Chris said, with free shipping. Go to blueapron.com slash carcast. That's blueapron.com slash carcast. Blue Apron is a better way to cook. I don't like to cook, so this makes sense for me. <laughs> uh, you got to get the nanny doing. All right. Uh, thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Go to, um, go to carcastshow.com for any information you need on this show. Remember, we're hitting the road, man. We're going out. We're racing. We may be going to Europe. There are lots of stuff pending. Who knows? Maybe another professional Trans Am race in Portland or something coming up. We're, we got lots of stuff in the hopper. Yeah. So I'm excited about Monterey. It's only like three months away. That's going to happen quicker than we think. CarCastShow.com <laughs> is where you go. And click through our Amazon banner. Show a little love. Shift and Steer. That's Matt's podcast. Corolla Digital and Podcast One. That Corolla Drinks. we got the bar crawl coming up. No safe spaces. Me and Prager. Everyone loves that, man. So check yeah. that out. It's available on iTunes and Amazon. It's like 100 minutes. Live Reasonable Doubt coming up on July 20th with uh, Mark Garrigus. I like that guy. Just go to AdamCurl.com for all that info. Until next time, it's Adam Curl from Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea, saying keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. Drinks, comedy and music tour, live music, stand-up comedy, and buttloads of Mangria. June 17th in Long Beach at D Piazza's. June 22nd in Fresno at Sequoia Brewing Company. And June 24th in Seattle, Washington at Showbox Soda Lounge. With special guest comedians and bands in every city featuring Loxie. Baby, let's roll. Comedy from Matt Edgar. Tickets and more information are available online at CorollaDrinks.com. The Corolla Drinks Comedy and Music Tour. In Seattle with Lynette Corolla and Ray Oldhofer. In Long Beach with Mike Dawson and the Smoking Kills. Standing in the backyard looking for a tree to climb. June 17th in Long Beach. June 22nd in Fresno. June 24th in Seattle. The Corolla Drinks Comedy and Music Tour with Loxie and Matt Edgar. Get your tickets now at CorollaDrinks.com. Corolla.
Kohler Smart Toilets introduce a new standard of design and cleanliness, sculptural forms, intuitive technology, and total personalization with integrated warm water cleansing, heated seats, and warm air dryers. For peace of mind and convenience, there are touchless lids, seats, flush, and a self-sanitizing bidet wand. Now you can even use voice commands with Numi 2.0, featuring built-in Amazon Alexa. Explore the complete lineup at Kohler.com slash Smart Toilets and discover what you've been missing. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.